Good morning. I'll invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll be starting at verse 25. And on the Bibles in your pews or in the chairs in front of you, page 921. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? What's written in the law, he asked. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who's my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go by, be going down the, that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levi, when he arrived at the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This is God's word. I'll invite you to pray with me as we uh, bring ourselves under... God's word to us this morning. So, Father in heaven, would you take uh, what is often a very familiar story and make it fresh for us today? And may this, uh, the teaching, Lord Jesus, that you've given us, may it be powerful and fruitful in our lives. Uh, we pray that it would be fruitful in our church family, Father, that uh, we would be uh, a community of love, a community that loves you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And that we'd be a community that loves our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we invite the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Father, to to do that work of love in us this morning. So we open ourselves up to be transformed by your word, by your truth, by your spirit, and by your grace and love at work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the third week of four in a sermon series that uh, our outreach pastor Jeff has designed for us to help us walk through um, our strategy, our, some of our convictions uh, uh, when we think about outreach um, as a church. When we think about how do we relate to those who are not a part of this church family, how do we relate to them? What, uh, what is our posture towards them? And, uh, and, and how can we have the heart and the mind of Jesus 
with respect to them. So we've called this Living Greatly because um, we want to take a hard look at uh, the two teachings of Jesus that have been called great, the Great Commandment, uh, which I'm talking about this morning in the Great Commission. And so uh, these two things, these, the words, the message of Jesus, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, we want to bring that message to bear to those who uh, do not yet believe in Jesus and trust in him for eternal life. And we, so we want, we want to have words. We want to, we want to make disciples. We want to uh, proclaim good news, the message of Jesus. We want those words, that, those truths to go out. And we want to have, be uh, not only people of words, but of action, words and deeds. Uh, um, we want to, have, uh, to obey this great commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love God with all of who we are, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so uh, this morning I'm, I will be focusing in on the second half of that great uh, commandment, the loving of, our, of your neighbor as yourselves, because that's the focus of this uh, series as to how do we relate to uh, to those who, um, who who are around us, but who might be different um, from us, who are not part of our uh, our community. The uh, and so this uh, great commandment is uh, is part of a larger interaction. You might say, well, actually, I noticed Jesus didn't give this commandment. This uh, interaction he was having with a Jewish leader. And this Jewish leader said the greatest uh, commandment, the, the law, is summarized in this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You say, ah, yeah, it's, it's true. In this interaction, uh, Jesus isn't the one who uh, says it. Uh, the, in Matthew's gospel, there's another interaction that Jesus has with someone, and, and Jesus, when he's asked the question, what is the greatest commandment, says uh, verbatim these words, although he, he leaves out the word mind. Um, in, in that uh, interaction. That's not a surprising response. It was a very common Jewish response at the time. It, it, this, it's really a summary of the Shema, which is a, a section of Scripture from Deuteronomy and Leviticus that Jews would have repeated every single day. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength in Deuteronomy 6 and then Leviticus 19 to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this isn't original teaching to Jesus. Jesus is... Um, although we do believe he inspired the Old Testament scripture, and so he is the source of that. But Jesus' earthly presence um, in, the, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth is not unique to sharing this great commandment. Jesus really summarizes his ethical teachings, though, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says what we, we know as the golden rule, right? Love your neighbor, or not love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you, that is uh, Jesus. That is unique to Jesus. There were before uh, Jesus walked the earth. There were um, other uh, uh, ethical teachers, other uh, religious teachers, who um, said things like, "Don't do to others the things that you don't want them to do to you." The, taking the negative spin on that, right? Saying, you know, if 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 you would hate what someone if if someone would do this to you, then you shouldn't do it to them. Whereas Jesus really. Um, takes that, uh, that, um, that teaching and puts a proactive, positive spin on that. And he says, be proactive in not only not doing bad things, but be proactive in doing good. So the things that you wish that others would do to you, you should do for and to them. And so this teacher of the law comes to Jesus here in, in Luke's gospel, and he's, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trap 
Jesus. He's trying to trip him up and to discredit Jesus. And so he uh, has a suspicion that Jesus has a low view of God's law. All the rules that God has given the Jewish people. uh, This man has a sneaking suspicion that uh, based on who Jesus interacts with and the gracious attitude that he has towards them, he's got a suspicion that this guy has a low view of God's law. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's trying to chip Jesus up. He's, he's, trying to, uh, he's expecting Jesus to say something like, well, it, you don't have to do anything. Don't worry about it. Just live however you want. God's gracious. He'll, he'll accept you for however you are. And, that's, but, uh, and so he's trying to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the Jewish culture. When you're trying to be trapped by a question, a great response is to ask a question in response. And so that's what Jesus does. Jesus responds to a question with a question. He says, well, you tell me. What, what, how do you read the law? If you were to summarize the law, how would you read it? So you, at this point, you can either read all 700 of the rules um, that the Jews received, or you can summarize them. And he he, he gives that summary, as I mentioned, the summary that Jesus expected, the summary from the Shema, the summary that Jesus gives when asked the same question in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. The word love, there's a Greek word that means, that the Greek word is agape. So Jeff mentioned this a few weeks ago, that in English we've only got one word for love, but in Greek there's a number of different words. There's there's uh, the word uh, uh, phileo, which is the where the city Philadelphia gets its name, the city of brotherly love. So phileo is brotherly affection, kindness, like feeling warmth towards someone. There's eros, which is a, a more erotic, um, romantic love. There's agape, which is this um, committed, steadfast, purposeful, serving love. Agape is is a word that is, um, has both a, a sensitivity and intentionality around it, that we're choosing to love, that we're committed and purposeful in, in loving. It's a love that is measured by what it gives, not by what it gets. Jesus, when he says, when, if you're going to summarize all that God expects of you, If you summarize God's expectations for his creation, humanity, you can summarize it down to the word love, agape. Be committed to an others-centered, selfless, committed, purposeful, intelligent, joyful love. Love God. Love him. Don't just obey him out of fear or guilt. Love him. God's never been interested in empty words or rituals. God's never been interested in obedience that's begrudging and out of duty. God's interested in our hearts. He's interested in a love relationship with us. When he gives us new life, he gives us new love. And he sets our hearts towards him. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor like you love yourself. Now, in the modern um, self-esteem movement uh, culture that we live in, 
um, some have said, well, see, what Jesus is saying is you need to love yourself. What Jesus is saying is you do love yourself. (laughs) We are all committed to our own selves. Sometimes that looks that doesn't look like love. It, sometimes it looks like self-hatred. But deep down, underneath the surface, we all love and are committed to ourselves. And Jesus says, in the same way, love your neighbor. Be as committed to meeting the needs of your neighbor as you are committed to meeting your own needs. Meet all of their needs with the same force and the same joy, the same focus and power and speed as you would meet your own needs. Be as happy as about the success of your neighbor as you are happy about your own success. Jesus says to the man, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. Do this and you will live. Love God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this. Perfectly, and you'll live. You'll inherit eternal life. You'll be accepted by God. You'll walk in love with God. You'll live with Him forever. And so it says the religious leader says, okay, he wants to justify himself. He's feeling the force of this. You see, when you, when you come up against this uh, great commandment, love God with everything you are, You love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you look in the mirror, you examine your life, you examine the way in which you spend your time and your money, you examine the affections of your heart, you inevitably will say, well, I don't quite measure up to that. And so in order to justify himself, this man says, well, let's make this more reasonable. Let's Let's ensure that this is doable. Let's make sure this is a reasonable command. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who classifies as the, who, who do I need to love as I love myself? You see, for Jesus, the law is a way of life, but it's not the way to life. The law is a way of life, but it's not the way to life. Jesus says, do this and you'll live. Walk in God's law and you'll live. This is the path of life. Living this way will lead you to the fullness of life and joy and peace and flourishing, the life that you were intended to to live. You see, all of God's commands are not meant to squelch our joy. God's commands, his instructions to us, are meant to lead us into the fullness of joy. He he doesn't give us instruction because he he wants to be a killjoy and wants to squelch any opportunity we would have to have a good time. No, God actually wants to, he knows us, he knows us through and through, and so his commands to us are meant to lead us into, into life. But we can't do it. We can't follow them. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't love God with everything we are. We'll find, even as we ever, you know, any intentions that we would have to begin to live this way, we quickly realize, if you're honest with yourself, that we're self-centered, that we really are committed to ourselves. And that we distrust God. We're not sure. We're not sure that His commands are meant to, to lead us to life. Not, we're not sure that this is the best way to live. And so we don't trust Him. We don't really love Him. Which is a bit of a problem. If this, is, according to Jesus, is the way of life, is the way to life. See, for Jesus, the law is not the way to life. 
though it is the way of life. This man that Jesus is interacting with, this Jewish man, is, is trying to justify himself to make it reasonable. He says, what's the minimum standard? Let's, 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 I'll grant you the point, Jesus, that yes, this is the way of life. Now, what, how, how do I actually live up to this standard? What's the minimum? Who, who's my neighbor? Like, is my neighbor just the people who live next door to me? And Jesus says, well, that reminds me of a story. And so we read this parable, this story that Jesus tells in order to teach a point. And he tells a story of a hero who uh, meets all the needs of a man who was laying half dead on the road. And he's careful to point out that this hero of the story, the protagonist of the story, is a Samaritan, a sworn enemy of the Jews, the Jewish man lying on the road. And that despite the danger entailed, this Samaritan meets all of the transportation, meets all of the health care needs, meets all of the social needs, meets all the financial needs that this Jewish man has. Jesus says, to be a neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself, means to meet the needs of people, even people that you would normally despise. Even that kind of person. Now, most of us think God values sacrificial generosity. Right? We say, yeah, God values sacrificial generosity. But do we know that he actually requires it? It's actually a requirement. You see, a, a life of mercy is actually a test. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus envisions this great day of judgment that's to come, and he, and, and he, he divides people up into to two groups, those who are on their way to eternal life and those who are not. And he says the defining feature that differentiates the two is that on those who are going to eternal life, he said, Jesus says to them, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was, when I was uh, sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And whenever you've done it to the very least of these, Jesus says, you've done that unto me. And to those who are, who are not going to eternal life, he says, you didn't give me something to eat. You didn't give me something to drink. Jesus says, the way I can tell the difference between someone who's, who's experienced my life and my grace, someone who's believed my message, is that they live a life of mercy. Someone who's really believed in me will live a life where they love their neighbor as themselves. Now we react to this. I know this because I'm one of us, and, and, and we, we think, well, there's, there's got to be some limits here. There's got to be some limits to this love your neighbor as yourself. I think there's a, a couple of limits that uh, we, that we try to place on this parable of the good Samaritan. We we try to limit we try to limit uh, who we try to limit when we try to limit how much. First of all, we try to limit who we need to love as we love ourselves. 
You see, it's natural to want to help people who we like and who like us or who are like us. But Jesus puts a Jew and a Samaritan juxtaposed in this parable. These bitter, utter, sworn enemies. And Jesus says, even that guy. Even that guy. Even that guy who you hate. Who you would naturally despise. Who you've been taught your entire life to despise. Even that guy. We try to limit when. When we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We say, well, you know, I, I do like to help people who are down and out, but especially when it's not really their fault. You know, they had a tragedy in their life. They had a fire. Their house burned down. And I want to I come alongside and help them. It wasn't their fault. But these people, they're reckless. They're foolish. They're bad guys. They're... They're addicted to stuff. Again, this Samaritan would have seen this Jewish man on the side of the road and said, he's getting what he deserves, that dirty Jew. You say, well, I, I like to only help people if they're extremely destitute, if they're, if they're like way far gone and they got nothing, they got no help. They got absolutely nothing. Those are the ones I'll help. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you get sick, if you get, if you're lonely, if you're poor, going to financial straits, do you want help to wait until you're utterly and absolutely destitute? Well, these people they brought the they brought the trouble on themselves. They don't really deserve my help. Friends, if Jesus looked down from heaven and said, these people who need help, they don't deserve it. I'm only going to help those who deserve it. He could have saved himself a trip. He could have saved himself a trip. I'm only going to help those people who are in trouble because when it's not their fault. And we try to limit how much. I can't really afford to help. Maybe maybe when I make a little bit more money. Or probably more pressing for us because most of us do just want to cut a check. I don't have any time. I am so busy. I don't have time to help. I can't afford the time right now. But Jesus deliberately puts this story on an infamous road, the Jericho Road. A road that's full of hills and curves and caves. An infamous road where robbers and bandits were known to hang out. And so to stop to help a half-dead man means the robbers were not that far away. The vigilantes were not that far away. And so to stop was extremely dangerous. To stop was to risk everything. And this Samaritan says, I'm going to pay whatever it takes. I'll bear their burden. I'll, take, I'll bear whatever it takes. 
I'll pay whatever it takes. His agenda, totally disrupted. His life, way more complicated. You say, I just want to give some money. I want to volunteer once a month. Friends, when we think about neighboring, when we think about living, um, having a ministry of neighboring, of loving your neighbor as yourself, when we think about how do we reach out as a church community to those who are poor, those who are sick, those who are lonely, those who are marginalized, we have a conviction in what we call relational ministry. Relational ministry. Outreach to those who are hurt and poor and sick and lonely must be relational. Gustavo Gutierrez says, You say you care about the poor? Then tell me, what are their names? What are their names? If we'll live a life of loving our neighbor, even those we would normally despise, as we love ourselves, a starting point is to get to know their name. No? Relational ministry is costly. It's inconvenient. It'll complicate your life. It'll disrupt your schedule and interrupt your agenda. It's going to require time and love. And it's going to involve the process of strangers becoming family. You know, sometimes as pastors, actually quite often, um, we, we get some feedback and, and about the ministry of our church, and we say, you know, just give me an easy way to be involved with people who are sick, poor, or needy. Give me an easy way. Something that won't cost me too much time or too much convenience. We don't say it that way. And, the, and, and we, we, you know, we, we understand, I understand the heart behind it. I want to be involved, but I'm feeling the pressures of, of time and what, man, that's going to, you know, can I, is there some way I can just volunteer to help the, the needy once a month? And those are, that's good. It's a good thing. But it's not relational. For it to be relational will require time will require commitment, will require agape love. And it's going to be very complicated and inconvenient. And so an easy way to make a big impact in the life of a needy person doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. And so it's an impossible request. Give me an easy way to be involved with needy people to make a difference in their lives. You see, the call of Jesus is not to deny your neighbor, take up your comfort and follow your dream. I'll say it again. The call of Jesus is not to deny your neighbor, take up your comfort and follow your dream. It's to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And so ministries like Meals Plus, where two by two, cornerstoners 
go out into the homes of those who are lonely and sick and deliver some meals with a plus. The plus is friendship and relationship. The plus is being known and being friends is costly. Costly in the commodity that most of us, especially those of us who are affluent, find most precious, and that's our time. Right? How often do we want to just cut a check and help the poor? I just don't have the time. Whereas those who are poor, those who are needy, have everything but. Every, they have everything except time. They have time, oodles of time, and they have nothing else. They need our time. Jeff shared about Meals Plus and his experience with uh, his friend Graham a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard that message, or last week actually, if you haven't heard that message, you should listen online. Very moving. And maybe you need to think about being involved in Meals Plus. Talk to Jeff about that. Maybe you need to think about adopting a kid who needs a home. Or opening your home to be foster parents, to take care of kids who need a safe and loving place, to bring them into your family. Will it cost you? Will it be complicated? Will it be messy? Will it be inconvenient? It will. Maybe you need to open your eyes and see migrant workers that surround us, far from home for good chunks of the year, and see people who need a friend, people who need welcome to our community. But friends, for us to follow this great teaching of Jesus, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we will need to give up our obsession for a neat and convenient life. We will need to give up our obsession with seeking a comfortable life. Cornerstone, we believe in relational ministry to the global poor as well that we, we want, well, we love tokens like sending a box. We, we, we deeply value relational ministry on the global scale. And so that's been our, that's been our journey in Burundi. I want to introduce you to, to a man I've met a number of times. This picture will be on the screen here. This is Jean-Marie. Jean-Marie is a Batwa man living in Moramvia uh, in Burundi. Jean-Marie is one of the poorest people on the face of the planet. And Harvest for Christ, our, our partner in Burundi, as they felt the call of, of Jesus to serve the Batwa people group, this marginalized, oppressed, poor people group in the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world, they moved in. And got to know the people. They got to know Batwa people. And they lived among them. And they taught them farming practices. And they, they helped them with food security issues. And began to meet needs of education. And, and built, we built it together with Harvest. We built a school. And we built a medical clinic. Built a hospital. To meet their needs. To show them the love. To love them as we would love ourselves.
Jean-Marie came to believe in Christ. He's a leader in our church plant in the town of Morambia. Works as a night guard at the medical clinic. And Jean-Marie says, and you can see his story on, on, uh, on our Not Forgotten Burundi website, on our Christmas Giving Project website, but Jean-Marie says, we thought that God had forgotten us. We thought that God had forgotten us, but then you came. Matt and I were with Jean-Marie. We took this picture. This is outside of his home that was built, um, that we helped to, to fund. We've walked his paths. We've gotten to know him. He's known. You can go meet him this February. And others like him. If you're a part of Cornerstone, I, I hope you're thinking about when, when can I get to Burundi, not if I'll ever go to Burundi. I don't know if you read um, uh, Doug and Deanna Hebert's uh, newsletter. This, they sent it out on Thursday or I think of this past week, and we linked to it in our e-bulletin, where they tell the story of the library at the school, the Karababi Harvest School, the school in Morambia that we've been partnered with for so many years. Last year, you may recall, our Christmas giving project was to raise funds to help set up a library at this school. And if you haven't read this story, it's incredible how Deanna had the privilege of leading a bunch of kids to a relationship with Jesus through the ministry of a library. It's amazing. You see, everyone is included in God's mission. We want to share the good news of Jesus because it's for everyone. We want to share it with everyone because it's for everyone. And yet, Jesus consistently calls us to be especially engaged with those who are poor or sick or hurt or lonely. Now, I want to talk to us about the motivation behind this kind of a life, behind loving your neighbor as yourself. The motivation to love your neighbors as yourself is going to require a change in perspective. You see, there's, there's different ways of getting people to do different things, right? And one of our go-to motivations for things is guilt. And so we can, we can lay on this morality thing, whether it's secular or religious morality. We can motivate people through duty and say, this is what you've got to do. You have so much and you should really share. Both secular and religious folk do this. And say, this is your duty. This is what you have to do. Look at how much you have. And you're not sharing. Don't you feel so guilty? And maybe this morning, you've even felt a tinge of guilt. Jesus would say, stop it. Stop it. You don't need to feel guilty. Conviction, maybe. Guilty, no. You see, when it... When things get costly, guilt doesn't work. Because we need to, we always will follow our true love. We will always follow our true love. When we all love something more than we love anything else. And when push comes to shove, we're always going to follow that love. We always will. And so Jesus says, don't follow out of guilt, follow out of love. 
follow out of love. You see, Jesus puts two people in the parable whose job it is to help the poor. There's a priest and a Levite. It was literally their job to take care of needy people. And they walked right by. You see, Jesus is saying, if it's only out of duty, when it's difficult, when it's costly, it won't work. It won't work. It's their job, and they wouldn't do it because it was too dangerous, too costly. Guilt will never take you to the place where Jesus wants to bring you. Guilt will bring you a lot of places, but guilt will never bring you where Jesus wants to bring you. And so let's remember the context of this parable briefly, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Who is he talking to? He's talking to a Jewish man. Jesus is talking to a Jewish man. And he puts him in the parable. Jesus puts the Jewish man in the parable. Where is he? Is he the hero of the story? No, he's half dead lying on the side of the road waiting for help. Now imagine if Jesus had said, let me, and when the man says, who's my neighbor? Imagine Jesus says, well, there was a man just like you, a Jewish man riding on his horse on the Jericho road, comes across a Samaritan who's half dead, beaten up by robbers. And he helps him. Go and do likewise. He's given him a rule. He's motivated him with guilt and saying, you better be just like him because he is you. Jesus says, no, no, no. Imagine you were on that road. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Imagine it was you losing your life, that your life was ebbing away. What if your only hope was an act of undeserved grace? What if you were saved by someone who you owed nothing to but rejection? Would that change the world, way you look at the world and everyone in it? You see... The rules and the guilt will take you a little ways, but they won't take you far. Guilt will never take you to the places where Jesus wants to bring you. Jesus entered our world, saw us on the side of the road, half dead, bound in slavery to sin, alienated from you, and he had compassion on us. He saw us. And he helped us, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. See, relational ministry transforms not only the recipient, but the giver as well. Do you believe that the poor of our world have something to teach you? That you are not only the giver, but you can be the recipient in this relationship? You see, the needy among us can teach us how to live from a place of need. Because, friends, we're not as self-sufficient as we think we are. motivation for loving your neighbor as yourself where does it come from it comes from seeing yourself not in the saddle as the savior as the hero coming in to save the day the motivation the power 
comes not from the duty, not from the rule to obey, but from the receiving of grace. The power to obey comes, the power to, to love your neighbor as yourself comes from seeing yourself dead, on, helpless on the side of the road, receiving grace from someone who, is, who you were alienated from and lifting you up and meeting all of your needs and loving you and caring for you. And then going and doing likewise. You see, before you can be in the saddle, you need to be on the side of the road. Before you're the savior of the world, going out to help everyone with need, you need to be the recipient of undeserved grace and love. And then you'll learn to see. Learn to see. You see, the priest and the Levite saw the man in need and walked around. But if we'll learn to see, we can walk to the, to the needs and have contact, have relationship. So would you pray with me? So, Father in heaven, would the grace of the Lord Jesus, the undeserved mercy and compassion that reaches us when we're helpless, that reaches us in spite of what we deserve, that rescues us, that's, that cares for us, that's kind towards us. May that kindness lead us out into this world to build relationship and to share life with those who are in need. And so we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus, who is our great Samaritan. Amen.